Just a heads up before this episode starts that it centres quite heavily on domestic violence and mental illness. So if this is a trigger for you, just give this episode a skip and we'll catch up in the new year. We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, my podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is former world number four tennis player, Yelena Jokic. Got it! Jokic's dream run in Melbourne continues. What a match. 8-6 in the final set for Elena Jokic. And then tears all round. Thank you so much for doing this, Elena. It's so nice to be with you. Absolutely. No, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so let's get started. Well, I guess maybe maybe we do start with the book. What was that process like for you? Because you have been someone who's been in the public eye for, you know, the majority of your life probably. And, you know, a lot of people probably had different perceptions of you or saw you as, uh, you know, as a tennis player, you know, as someone who's then gone on to retire and do different things. What was that process like for you to become that really open book and be open and honest about your experiences? Well, I think, uh, you know, my experience uh, just in general, not not even um, just as a tennis player but outside of actually being a professional athlete is so much more than what people thought they knew or mm. what they saw on the court. And for me, you know, I felt like uh, I went through a lot and I never – I never talked about it. I, ne- I never spoke about it pretty much to anyone, uh, even privately. And uh, I always had, um, I always knew that I would write a book. It was just about a matter of when I would be ready because mm. it does contain my stories, you know, very hard to hear for a lot of people. And it's very confronting and emotional. And I talk about, uh, you know, child abuse. And I grew up in a in a household or, or home, you know, where domestic violence was was a normal thing. And mm. you know, being a refugee and then coming to Australia and and then you know, uh, at times also not being accepted. I was bullied, and then from there, uh, you know, doing all that as a professional athlete or trying to be, you know, at the top of my game and trying to be the best that I can. And uh, which you know, you 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 know, I was number four in the world, so you get almost to the top of the game and the top of the rankings while you got so much going on where you should kind of be focusing on 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 what you love to do because I absolutely loved tennis but I wasn't able to do that because I had so much going on and it was actually getting worse and worse and, and, and worse and it was actually starting to affect also my reputation uh, because of my father and because of the way that he was and, and who he was and it started to uh, really unravel publicly and it really affected me and affected my mental health which I talk about in my book as well which ultimately almost led me to commit suicide in 2006 mm. so for me I felt like you know I was new I would talk about my story because I felt like it was really important and I always felt like, uh, you know, even years and years ago, I always felt like we don't talk about it enough. It's this kind of secret and every, everyone that goes through it lives in silence, whether it's domestic violence or mental health or child abuse and uh, bullying as well, people that go through that, especially women and the younger generation. And it was just about when I was going to be ready to do that myself. Mm. Uh, the whole process was uh, very draining. It, it was yeah. not easy. And I can imagine. There's, yeah, I, I really am very open in my book even about what abuse looked like and what the physical abuse looked like and a lot of my beatings and a lot of people find that very difficult to read. But I went into it saying to Jess and saying to my publisher, look, uh, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to say it the way that it was. I'm going to be fully open and honest and vulnerable and that's the only way I'm going to do this and I'm going to write this. So if you guys are okay with that, you know, I would really love to do it. So And they were great, especially Jess and my publisher as well about being open and honest and talking about something that's, as we see now, uh, even more so extremely important and more and more athletes and just in general people in other 
um, you know, in, generally in society that has nothing to do with sport are coming out and talking about it more and more. So it was a, I always felt like it was a something that's extremely important. But I went into it thinking, well, if I can help someone, if mm. someone can read this book and if I can maybe help them in some way or help them find the voice or uh, help them find, you know, a little bit of that strength and hope and uh, then that's all kind of that uh, that matters. That's all I wanted and I even say at the end of my book, if it helps one person, then mm. it's mission accomplished and uh, that's what I kind of wanted to do and I didn't want it to, I know that we can't eradicate some of these things because it's always going to happen but I kind of felt like maybe you know, I can change a life or two by telling yeah. my story. And obviously it's done so much. So it's it's been amazing. Well, I mean, that's the thing because you, you know, if you can help somebody through telling your story, I mean, that's that's everything, right? But just to make someone feel less alone, like they're mm-hmm. not the only one who might have been through something similar and, yeah, acknowledge that this is a really dark part of a lot of people's lives more more than probably what we know and what we see because we just don't talk about it enough absolutely and there's so much shame and stigma associated with talking about domestic violence and mental health and bullying and child abuse as well mm. and it's a lot better than it was and I would say we can always do better we can always do more we're starting to talk about that now more and more but especially when I grew up and even even when I was writing my book now, you know, four, almost five years ago, there was a lot of shame and a lot of stigma associated with talking about things like that and being so open. And even if there was no shame or stigma, it was kind of always, oh, should we be talking about this? Yeah, you can't talk about that. Yeah, this is quite uncomfortable. But I think the reality of what goes on in behind closed doors is even more so. It's Mm. even 10 times or 100 times more terrifying and scary and so that's how I look at it. And I do think that even if you haven't gone through things, then it's the other side. Then you, uh, I think we can educate people uh, and teach them, look, if people are going through this, how do you react? You need to understand that for people that go through a lot of these things, it is so hard for us to talk about and we feel alone and we feel like we won't be understood. And that's what I felt. And I also kind of going through it, I didn't have anyone that I can look at and kind of go, well, they're going through it, but they're managing, they're surviving, but they're also thriving and they're accomplishing their goals and their dreams. And that's how I looked at it. And and when maybe I can help someone actually realize that um, they're not alone. Maybe they can feel like they have a voice through me because I had a platform. I, I yeah. knew that I had a platform and something like that would be talked about. And, um, you know, with so many people, especially women and, and even the younger generation coming through and, and the first thing everyone says is like, Thank you for doing that, and 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 I feel like I have a voice because of you. Because I, no one, you know, talked about that. So you've really given me that kind of voice, and and you kind of are speaking for myself. Yeah. So th- that's been amazing to hear. And uh, yeah, I just want to continue sharing my message. I've got another book coming out next year, but even with all my speaking and everything that I do, this is the message that I share. And and. Hopefully we can just get the message out there more and more that mm. um, silence is actually the real problem, you know. And and all of these things, when, when we talk about bullying, child abuse, domestic violence and mental health, uh, that is the real pro- problem, the silence. Yeah. And that's what gives the abusers and, and everything that control. So I think once we speak out, they lose that control. And bo- there is so much strength in vulnerability. And, yes. and we usually, as an, as an athlete, you're always told, you know, to be this really strong person. And uh, we always feel like, you know, if we talk about something that's not maybe perfect, that we're giving this edge away to our opponents. So I think especially in sport, we're kind of taught to be these really strong people, but also there's so much actually strength in vulnerability and speaking up. Oh, I, yes, I could not agree more because yeah, that I, I, that concept of silent being the actual real problem because then you you do, you feel isolated and alone and, you know, speaking towards the mental health side of it, you know, that is when you start to go, well, I'm, I'm the problem, I'm the failure, I'm the issue here. But I also think it's really powerful what you were saying about, you know, those people who haven't been through those sorts of things, whether it be mental health issues or domestic violence or child abuse, just to know that 
you know, people might have been viewing you and going, well, she's number four in the world, she's so young, she's, you know, achieving so much and doing all these things, you know, there's her life is perfect. And you just it just makes you realise that everybody has things that they're dealing with. So if we could just live in this world with more grace, more generous assumptions about what people are experiencing or maybe how they treat you or, you know, behaviour that might be shown and then you can go, oh, like let's just give – Give them some grace. I'm sure that's mm-hmm. there's something going on for them. Yeah, and I think it's looked at, like I said, like especially in sport, as if you are maybe struggling mentally or with anything else, it's looked at as this um, thing that's something to be ashamed about. Yeah, but it's actually yeah, but it's actually the opposite. And uh, there is so much uh, strength in actually being able to speak up and and not just for yourself, but in helping others. And mm. I think the narrative really needs to change because some of the some of the strongest people I know have been able to speak up and have gone through so much. But yeah, I, I think the narrative's always been, and, and that's just I think in general, maybe even a little bit. I think we're just used to, yeah. especially athletes being these incredible uh, strong powerhouse mentally yeah yeah, powerhouse but actually there's so much strength in going through tough times and being able to get up talk about it and then try and rise and and get through that and I think there is a lot more people in general and athletes that go through so much but are just uh, I think not used to speaking up and afraid of speaking up so we're seeing that now more and more with athletes coming out with Naomi Osaka she's done that even Simone Biles going look I'm at the Olympics but I'm just not up to competing and being really honest and not going out there just because she's maybe pressured to go out there but because she's actually really concern for her mental health and that she's not going to be able to compete I mean there's so much that that takes so much strength and courage to be able to do that especially at the Olympics as gymnasts that's what they wait for every four years Mm. so uh, there's uh, so much strength in that but yeah Absolutely. I think uh, uh, just that narrative as well. And and for people that haven't been through it, just to try and understand it. And, you know, for us to be able to also give a little bit of that experience and education so that they can help others. You never know what's around the corner. You know, you never know what your co-worker might go through or what your maybe your sister might go through or your daughter. And I think it's very important to be able to listen to survivor stories. Mm. And even if you haven't been through it we cannot make any type of change uh, if we don't listen to those stories it starts with that conversation and raising awareness and shedding light on it I think that's so so important and I think we've shown that in the last five years with so many especially women coming forward and Grace Tame is is obviously a huge one how much attention that has gotten and, and we're actually changing things and on a on a on a much broader and much bigger level so I think that proves it all and we just need to continue doing that with your with your experiences was that was that exacerbated by the kind of pressure um, and expectation to achieve in tennis do you feel like that was a a contributor yeah absolutely look I grew up in poverty and Mm. uh, for you know my father that was a way out and he really saw me kind of as as the ticket and and I was very you know talented and really good straight away I really loved tennis but I was actually really good and had really great results straight away and I think he saw that and he saw the talent and he saw the ability and that turned into just um, a a whole lot of extra pressure and and pushing me to, to do well and it's just that it really started from an extremely young age at the age of six um, when I started already getting beaten up and never before that never up until I started playing tennis so yeah it got worse and worse and worse from there but yeah it was definitely because he really saw uh, a way out for everyone uh, for the whole family through me playing tennis because tennis is obviously such a a global and high profile sport and uh, one of the highest earning you know sports especially for women in the world and yeah there's no doubt that he saw that and, and well that's um, always the joke yeah. isn't it like get your kids into yeah. tennis and golf right <laughs> like if yeah. you want to earn lots of money yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just that, uh, yeah, the the thing also is that he got worse. As I got better, which I never understood, was he got worse. So he also struggled with alcohol as well. So there was a whole lot of heap of things going on there. But, yeah, it it just, uh, it was relentless, never stopped. And and I, yeah, I 
and I talk again about this in my book where I was uh, beaten to, you know, kicked and punched in the head um, until I was unconscious at one stage and that's where I decided to leave uh, at the age of, uh, I left home when I was 19, I was still really young. Mm. And then, um, yeah, a whole other battle started, which was what happens from here? You know, how do I live my life? My, my father still continued to make my life, you know, a nightmare and, um, yeah, really, really, a really, really difficult time still where then my mental health was affected because I kind of felt like I didn't have a way out and I didn't know how to sort it out because he didn't leave me alone. Even when I left home, I had to hire around the clock security because of all the threats and even financially, I gave everything to him up until that point, which was millions as well. So I was really uh, in a really, really difficult place and all this while uh, you know, on the outside, I was trying to be this really strong person and uh, really compete at, at an elite level. Uh, I was still top 10, top five in the world at the time when all this was going on. And yeah, and I reached a breaking point from there. That must have been so confusing for you to obviously be dealing with, you know, the abuse and, you know, the the assault from, from your father, but which was centered around something that you clearly also loved. Mm-hmm. you know being being tennis was that confusing yeah. uh it was i always loved tennis uh, straight away when i started playing and at, at the age of 6 i absolutely loved it and i love it to this day i love anything that has to do with tennis and yes at times it was really tough because i was kind of going through all of this because of this sport but mm. this sport that i love so much so i never hated tennis and at times it was difficult for me to get out there and play because everything was about so much more than just actually going out there and enjoying it and actually playing and competing because I actually really loved competing. Mm. I was a, a really great competitor straight away when I was really young and always wanted to win. So I had that kind of naturally. And, and uh, it was hard because, yeah, I was going through a lot kind of because of tennis, but it wasn't tennis, like the sport's yes. fault. Yeah. I still say, yeah, I still say it's such a great sport and, you know, I would do it all over again uh, because I love the game so much and because I still do think that tennis brought me so many things, uh, even for me as a person and it built character and it built strength and resilience and um, just this great knowledge that I probably wouldn't have had if I wasn't an athlete or a tennis player. So, yeah, that was at times tough, but I never, I never hated tennis. I mm. always always loved it even when it was difficult I absolutely loved always hitting balls and I loved competing and I love it to this day and I love to talk about tennis as well in what I do now with my commentary as well I think that kind of comes across because I have a lot of passion for the game yeah so no I absolutely love the sport well that's what I wanted to kind of go into with you because you know obviously you were I mean incredibly good at, at tennis from an incredibly young age and you, you put everything out there on the court, you were, you know, absolutely in it. And then obviously that's transitioned into going all in on your book. And then with your tennis commentary, like I just adore listening to your commentary mm-hmm. um, around tennis. It's just so, I, I don't know what the word is. It, you're so articulate. It, you give such beautiful insights into the experiences of the athletes. And, yeah, you can really sense that that passion for, for the sport. How, how has that been for you? It's been great. I actually really struggled when I retired because I retired um, not on my terms. I retired due to injury and I retired quite young, actually, for a tennis player. How old were you? Uh, at- yeah, I was 29. Okay. So if you look at it today, you know, athletes played or tennis players to the 35, 36, yes. even doubles. So it was really tough for me because I actually had a plan to play for another four or five years at least and it was all cut short. So all of a sudden I was thrown into this uh, a life that was so so different when you're I think an athlete uh, you're you're living in this bubble and this life that's not a reality and uh, I didn't know anything else that's all I knew my whole life was that was my identity and being a tennis player was my identity so it was hard because I was thrown into it very quickly and suddenly and uh, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do but then also what I was even good at this is the 
yeah, this is the tough part as being an athlete, uh, is what do you do now? And also you got to go out there, get outside of your comfort zone, do something you've never done before and um, uh, uh, live this kind of new life that you know nothing about. So, yeah, yeah it was hard because I – uh, had a few little things where I kind of thought oh, I always loved tennis. I want to do something that's tennis related. And I always loved the commentary part of it, listening to it. So that's the first thing I went to. But obviously that came after my book. My book was kind of like uh, this uh, kind of, you know, new chapter in my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this at the time when I was writing my book, just how cathartic it would be. And it really changed my life the day that it came out. And it was the basically the new me because I felt like people now really get to know who I am as a person, who I even was as a tennis player because I don't think yeah. people knew the real me because I was always hiding something uh, with with my with my life and my past and and um so I, that was kind of the opening to that. And I felt like, oh, I've really come out of, outside of my comfort zone. I've gone and done something that I, I've never done before. And that kind of uh, really gave me that confidence to go out and try new things, see what I even like, but then also yes. see what I'm good at. What can I build? So with commentary, I, I bring a lot of, I think, passion to it because yes. I love the game. I, I really love everything that has to do with the tactical and and technical analysis I think I've always been pretty good at that as a player as well I always like to go out and scout my opponents so I think that comes through but yeah it was just then learning how to get that through to the viewer um, how to obviously um, you know uh, say it in the best possible way Mm. uh, you know get across the point that you want to but also simplify it because sometimes also you don't have a lot of time between points but also the live aspect of it, uh, which I actually love uh, because I love that as a player. I loved pressure. Yes. I love that adrenaline and I think I love that now as well. I love the live aspect of it. So uh, I think that comes through. And, um, yeah, I, I just also go from a point which that's important for me uh, from a kind and compassionate point because yes, that's exactly I think I've been exactly yeah, what I was going to say about your your commentary yeah exactly. I've been there as a player and I know that we all go out there we work hard uh, you know we give a hundred percent on the court we know that but you're not always going to have a great day I mean how many times a year as an athlete do you have a perfect day mm. actually not a lot people think that it happens often but it actually does doesn't and you're always trying to manage something you know the conditions maybe your body maybe you're not feeling great you, maybe you're just not informed you know these kind of last couple of months even you even though you're putting in the work it happens yeah so I try and go from that aspect and try and kind of bring a bit of compassion to it as well I think it's really important because I've been there as a player and then also you know kind of I am in the media now as a commentator as you know also as an expert and co-host and stuff. So I'm not direct, directly a journalist, but I am kind of a part of the media. You're so, an expert in your field. Yeah, I went through a lot with the media as well through my time and, and that's been the one big thing after I released my book with the media was they've kind of come out and apologised for a lot of the things and the way that they wrote about it and perceived it with my father, which I really appreciate and, and that's where I think we've also made a, a difference as well in, in how I think the media perceives and covers things, which I think is really important where mm. even at the time I was fascinated that, uh, you know, my father started to do all these things really publicly and all these outbursts, but it was looked at as a joke and a punchline, which I never understood because, um you know, I was you know, 14, 15, 16 at the time, 17, and um, even my brother was even younger. So he was eight years younger. So no one for a second kind of thought, well, there's two, you know, really young children going home with this person that seems really aggressive and, you know, obviously he's drunk at tournaments and he's having these outbursts. So I feel like uh, for me today, even though I'm not directly a journalist, I try to go from a compassionate point of view. Yeah, gosh, it's so interesting, isn't it, when you look back on that stuff and just, you know, observing what the media speaks about and in what way and how, yeah, like this man is clearly, you know, not well and yet we're just allowing things to continue. But that's that. That's the silence. That's the, the issue with not asking a question and going, are you okay? You know, is, mm-hmm. is everything all right, you know, at home? Mm-hmm. We just don't think it's our place. We don't want to 
impose we don't want to maybe get the answer like because then what do we do as the supporter or the person asking the question yeah yeah and I think we've changed in the way that we do cover things I think there is more thought going into it and more compassion um I would still long term I think that's the one thing that would still be great I would love to see you know, even from uh, generally publicly and and from a media perspective, how we do cover, you know, these really tough uh, conversations that we have and and hope that we do talk about it and that it is talked about and covered. And Mm. as hard, again, as hard as it might be to write it and to read it and to put it out there, again, the silence uh, and the reality of what goes on actually uh, behind closed doors with so many people out there, mm. you know, is is even is even more difficult. And then it makes it so hard for people that are in that situation. Don't forget, we talk about also a lot of young kids, a lot of, mm. um, you know, kids in sport, outside of sport, a lot of women uh, as well. It's very, it will be very, very hard for them to come out and talk about that's where we get to you know a lot of those statistics which one of them is that you know nine australians commit suicide every single day that's in australia alone so then we hear numbers like that and i think we're surprised and shocked but there's so much silence yeah uh, around it and when we talk about it so yeah i think there needs to just uh, be a little bit more coverage around it and we need to shed more light around it and create more awareness around it so I think we're 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 getting there it is getting better but I I think we just need to continue to you know push that point and uh, continue you know um, not just trying to create change but trying to do it publicly and trying to do it with the media and make sure that these um, stories of survivors do go out there because as difficult as they are to hear and read they do change lives there is no doubt about that. I'm just interested to understand from your perspective because, like, you know, when we're talking about your experiences, like the most recent ones kind of spring to mind. There was a a young tennis player who was filmed being hit recently um, from her father, which was, you know, obviously with social media these days it kind of goes viral and, you know, everybody hears about it. But also someone like Bernard Tomic who has had, you know, quite public things with his father as well. Like do we – well, for one – uh, you know, are you triggered by that sort of media and, and dialogue around those conversations? And does tennis have a problem with this kind of behaviour? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the video that you're talking about of the 14, I thought 14 yeah. year old, 15 year old girl, uh, was extremely um, distressing and yeah. it was heartbreaking to, to watch that. Uh, it was really hard for me to watch that I felt like I was watching a replay of one of my beatings when I um, was left unconscious uh, which I mentioned earlier so yeah it was from from that personal perspective it was it was um, it was it was disappointing even though I do know that it's something that happens and it's always going to happen which Mm. I think we're aware of that unfortunately especially in sports really really um you know where the where the prize money is extremely high and uh, the the issue for me is the way that we deal with it and the way that we I think manage it and what is available so I spoke up about that and you know nine who obviously covers the tennis and who I work with and they were amazing in covering it and I spoke about it on the Today Show which was great and uh, I think it's great that they've given that a voice and a platform and for me to be able to speak about it and that's when I go as hard as that is we do need to talk about it we do need to bring it and, and and shed light on the stuff that happens and then from there you know what do we do because if you don't people that do that people that abuse you know kids people that are abusers and do that type of stuff us not talking about it and not covering it not showing it Mm. that is their power so yeah that's why I feel like it's so important to to actually cover stories like that and I said that when I was actually when that came out and when I I was talking about it I, I did mention look we need to actually shed light on this we do need to talk about it so is it a problem absolutely it's Mm. going to be a problem I think in a lot of sports it's something that unfortunately I don't think we can eradicate it but the issue is what can we do about it Mm. and uh, especially it's an issue with sports that are global because you have so many different clubs federations 
governing bodies. And I think the issue is, are they working together? So I know, for example, Tennis Australia has a uh, does a great job, has a great program in the way that that's reported, in the way that from there it's um, dealt with. And, uh, you know, a, a, a person like that, if that happened at an Australian on Australian territory at a club, he would not be able to get near a tennis club again. Mm-hmm. Um, charges would be pressed, not just with the police, but with Tennis Australia itself, whether he can ever again uh, get near a tennis court or a tennis club and, and the way that it's dealt with. So the issue is, though, um, every single country, every single federation has their own rules and this is what I talked about and um, you know unfortunately which is what we found out about that video was that for that uh, father it was not the first time in public it was going on for weeks and it was seen before and it was that video was apparently circulating around different coaches and parents and so on so you know that's the issue I think that for me the biggest thing is if something like that happens and you've got it in front of you you got the proof something like that 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 person should never be allowed ever. anywhere near a tennis club, yeah. anywhere in the world, anywhere near a tennis court ever again. And that's the issue. Is that really what will happen? So I think the communication is a problem because tennis is such a you know global sport. So I think having that uh, that communication and being on the same page between, between different governing bodies and federations is really important, but also... I think there need to be lists, you know, if you yeah. have committed something like that, you know, there needs to be record, there needs to be lists where th- that doesn't exist, what you've done or what's happened in the past. I think also an anonymous platform, I think for these young kids where they can go to yes. and, you know, ask for help. So I still think, again, um, actually in Australia and, and with Tennis Australia and with their wellbeing program, and when it comes to child abuse, a lot of these things are available and the way that they deal with it is really, uh, I've read the whole thing and how it works and um, the way that it's uh, dealt with and the way that it's reported. But again, we um, need to do it on a global level. And that's yeah. where I think the communication between all the governing bodies everywhere in the world, we need to be on the same page where unfortunately we're not because there is so many countries and federations. You make such a good point. There needs to be that real systemic, systematic change in in how those things are dealt with. But even just reflecting on like my own swimming, there's always those jokes about those terrible swimming parents who would be mm-hmm. yelling and intense when their child was racing or yelling at them after their performance. Or even now, like my oldest daughter, um, she's seven, she's just started netball like even just wandering around a community netball Saturday morning, you see the intensity that some parents have already. And it's even, you know, I I mean, obviously when I was a a kid, I wouldn't have ever had the confidence to even question what a parent was doing. But, you know, as, as adults, you know, do we have language to be like, hey, that behavior is actually not acceptable or that, you know, the way that you're talking to your child is not like is that something that we as adults have to kind of start to take on or is it purely that systemic um governance yeah it's actually what you said uh you know i hear that in, in hear that in tennis all the time oh you see this or i see that mm. or he's uh, verbally abusing his child and you know, I, I because think if that's that, what they're doing in public, like if that's yeah. what they're doing in public, like that, that's what scares me. Is then what do they do? Yeah, the, the issue privacy? that scares me if they're doing it in public and people do know about it and people see it, then the issue is again, where is that missing link on mm. why are they allowed to continue to exactly, do that? Yeah. It's as simple as that. So yeah, I've heard those stories all the time in tennis and parents coming up to me and saying, oh, "This has happened," or he's, you know, abusing his nine-year-old daughter and calling her this and calling her that and yeah again I think it comes down to also the education so Mm -hmm. the education in general but also look you just have to have these rules and laws in place where look you cannot be going from tournament to tournament and uh, verbally being abusive during tennis matches and that without that being punished and uh, we can't have it's also not even just 
to your own child, but other children yes. hearing that it is, you know, other parents, other people as well being around. If we show that that's okay and that you can continue doing it during the match, we're, we're really putting out a wrong example. Mm. And that's the issue that I have with the whole thing. It, it has to really be, we have to really have uh, really clear you know, rules and laws in place. Because when I hear that, I'm like, well, who is allowing this to happen? Mm. Why is that happening at tennis tournaments? Or, you know, why is that person or that parent allowed to keep doing that? Why is someone not actually banning them or stopping them from doing that? But again, the issue also is a cultural thing. There are a lot of countries out there where things like that are normal. Like, for example, I grew up, um, you know, I came to Australia when I was 11. I grew up in, you know, in Eastern Europe where that um, type of behavior is actually, you know, it is normal. And and I have people from that part of the world come up to me today, still go, I grew up the same way because it's considered normal. You have plenty of other countries and parts of the world where you have a similar type of thing. And uh, that's also a problem as well. Uh, But, you know, whether it's a cultural thing or not, I think we have to get to a stage where these things are just not allowed, especially Mm. as you get further. What The video of um, the 15-year-old girl we talked about, that was in Europe at a junior, international junior tournament uh, that hasn't allegedly happened for the first time. They've seen that before. And so we're talking about international junior tournaments yeah, in the so middle she's of been Europe. In, she's been in tennis for a long time. Exactly. So why is this happening? At, that's already a little bit of a higher level. The next thing you go to is um, almost a tour, so mm. the professional tour. So why is, it's not even at your just your you know local club at a practice session. No, this was at a tournament. This was actually at an international junior tournament that have been playing around that. Um, you know, city and country and in the middle of summer, which is full of junior tournaments. Why is this happening on on, on such a high level, almost at a tour level? So, yeah, look, I think bottom line, there's no doubt that we are dealing with it a lot better than we did, for example, when I was growing up 20 years ago. There's no doubt about that. Is there still work to do? Absolutely. But I would love to, for me, ultimately, it would be about having the same rules and the same laws you know, across the board. Mm. I think that's ultimately what needs to happen worldwide. Yeah, across the board. So tell me about your experience between, because you obviously maybe had that idea that you wanted to go into tennis commentary, but that kind of opportunity only sort of presented itself after your book. What was that period of time like between retiring and writing your book before you kind of had the opportunity to to get into that tennis commentary? Yeah, I actually took a couple of years off because I kind of uh, wanted to be out of the whole spotlight and media. And when I retired, I wasn't in a great space because uh, I didn't retire on my own terms and I knew that was done. I would, you know, never play again. And I had, you know, um, a really bad injury, but also just I was kind of really tired and drained. If you go through my book, you'll understand with just um, still battling depression and anxiety and PTSD, I still had a lot of things to work through. So I felt like it was best that I take a little bit of time off and uh, completely go out of the spotlight because, um, yeah, I kind of felt like it was uh, after all that whole career and also in a way for me, dealing with media not knowing kind of really I felt like always even though I had so many fans around the world in Australia still people not really knowing who I was Mm. and I was very very different to what people perceived me uh, which they now see um, that there is a smile behind Mm. you know um, that really tough exterior Uh, yeah so that was kind of hard for me and I had to take a little bit of time off just for myself and to get out of the whole sport and media spotlight yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah I even even before I wrote my book and knew that was kind of because it did take us about 14 months to yeah. write the book but I was prepping to go into commentary I was like oh, I really want to try that I'm, I'm really interested in that and interested in that part of tennis so while I was still figuring out I also was doing um after my book or as my book was coming out, even a little bit of coaching on the court just to see if I like it. Yes. I thought that could expand my knowledge and kind of, you know, my view of tennis and learn new things when you're not a player, when you're now on the other side, which was really actually great. I learned a lot. So, yeah, I was always kind of prepping to try commentary from there on and and I did. As soon as my book came out, I actually got into commentary um, as it came out. Um, Those were my first tournaments that I did with the Summer of Tennis with Tennis Australia. So that's how I got into it. 
It's amazing. And like, what's your relationship? Because obviously you work in the media and Mm. you've had your experiences when you were a tennis player, but you've also had some very high profile experiences, not as a tennis player, kind of in between everything and people commenting on your looks and and all of these sorts of things, which just nowadays just seems so abhorrent and should have been seen that way back in the day. What's your relationship with the media and that that those experiences that you've had outside of the tennis? Yeah, I have a really good relationship with the media today, actually. I think a lot of that kind of understanding of maybe what I went through and my point of view came through when my book came out because mm. I think a lot of that was kind of realised in the way that my story and what my father was doing was covered and it all was kind of piled on me. A lot of people, even some people when you say to them today, you know, that I was a Grand Slam finalist and that, that I've reached number four in the world and they're kind of like that's not the first thing maybe that comes to their mind and that's because of, you know, the way that I think it was covered all the time and perceived and tennis and my results were not covered as that kind of first and main thing. So, yeah, I have a good relationship with the media today and, um, you know, I with Nine as well, it's been absolutely amazing and also with a lot of um, the other ones like I um, do write columns and I do, you know, put out my point of view out there, like I said, and, yeah, I think it's, uh, something that is, um, you know, I'm really glad and, and happy with the way that it is now. And yeah, even when I do try and get a point across and, um, you know, just like we said, with um, really tough stories and that it's about just continuing to have that relationship and go, look, guys, you know, this is important to talk about or, yeah. you know, and I think, yeah, a lot of the time now, um, yeah, I've um, I've been given that kind of um, space to to talk about it, and um, yeah, I, I think it's it's really good. I think it's really come the full circle, and it's very very different to what it was. And I think uh, it comes down to I think a lot of um, communication and a lot of education and awareness. I think around what happened with me and the way that it it was covered. And I think it's it's not even just I think it's moving forward as well. How we cover and how we do things, and and having that I think a little bit more compassion and kindness for certain things and the way that we talk about it. And so outside of your tennis commentary, you talk about you do a lot of speaking as well. Mm-hmm. Is, are you um, kind of working in that domestic violence space primarily? Yeah, I do a lot of um, a lot of speaking, uh, especially the last three years. And it's something that, again, was kind of a natural progression after my book and even with my TV work because I think, again, it's about having that platform and what, what can you do with it, you know. I always felt like what can I do, how can I help, how can I, you know, make a difference, can I make a difference. So I think it's such a big part of it because, you know, I did a book tour with my first book and you do so many events with hundreds and hundreds of people and I kind of felt like I could really spread the message and really talk about these things and uh, I knew there are people out there that have either gone through it or are going through it and I felt like I could really one by one, um, you know, workplace by workplace, company by company, club by club, federation by federation, I could get my story out there and why it is important to talk about it, to um, not having any shame and stigma around people that do and how we can help others and you know, what's kind of next and what's changed for me. So, yeah, it it was kind of a natural progression at the time. I didn't really look at it that way and know that I can do it. I never had a problem with speaking in front of people, but it was more about actually having that belief in myself going, I really think I can do something here and I can raise awareness and I can change something. So it's a lot around domestic violence. It's a lot around mental health Mm. as well. That's something that I've really gone through a lot and Um, it's just about continuing to spread the word. And I think ultimately everybody coming together and creating this really safe space and being united. I think ultimately it's about being united as as a community Mm. in going through these tough things and tough things that we go through and then connecting on that level and being able to help each other. That's ultimately what I I'm trying to do with that and um, that's really really important for me and it's a it's a huge part uh, of what I do and why I'm writing my second book and why I want to continue doing that. Okay. Am I allowed to ask what your second book's about? Yes absolutely so my first one was a fully an autobiography my story and uh, the second one is very different so it's not obviously on an autobiography level it's more about 
what's changed, why speaking up is so important. Mm. It's about mental health. It's about also it will be still gritty, which is, I think, what I'm about. It's about that vulnerability uh, and covering some of the hard stuff, including, you know, body image issues and the way that people perceive it, the way that people talk about it. Mm. And it ultimately is, though, at the end, I think a book of hope, um, strength and hope, and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But, yeah, big part also, and I think we mentioned it, maybe I just didn't answer it, was the body image part of it, Mm. where I feel really strongly about that and the way that we are judged, especially as public figures um, and and our size and our shape and and not really by our talents, I think, and our capabilities and what we do and how good of a job we do. So it's such a big part, especially for women and young girls, because it sends such a wrong message and I've had to face it. But um, I've decided to face it head on and to mm. call it out, which is what I've done. And I think it's been really important uh, because, uh, you know, with social media as well, but in media in general, people, there's a lot of people out there that can comment and they can, you know, give their point of view. But I think it's that kindness is so important. And I have a big problem with people judging someone by their shape and size. Yeah. I, I find that so it's, it makes you really frustrated, but I also find it so wrong. You know, mm. um, your worth is not defined and who you are and what a, if you're a good person um, by, you know, how big or small you are. So that's a big yes. part I'm going to cover in the book as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Yelena, like it's just I am in awe of you because there's something very special about a person who can go through what you've experienced, you know, on, on so many different levels, mm. not just <laughs> – you know, trying to perform at the highest level in your sport, but, you know, personally and then being able to be so open and honest and vulnerable Mm -hmm. to help others. And, and, you know, that's not to diss anybody who doesn't want to talk about what they have experienced or are experiencing. Like that's everyone's individual thing. But I think you've kind of always been aware that you have – you have a particular type of platform and you are going to use it for good. It's like, you know, superpower. You're using your superpowers for good. And I, I try to. I yeah. try to. I, especially even social my social media. I was never into social media up until my book came out. And um, you know, now to literally be able to build I, I call it a community of yes. people where, you know, I'm gonna be open and honest and and uh, put it all out there good or bad because I do think it's important it's not all roses and rainbows and I think it's important to also show you know the good stuff and and the pretty stuff and but also you know the stuff that's reality that happens yeah. in life the and, shit stuff <laughs> um yeah but life is unfortunately it is full of you know falls and losses and and you know breakdowns of relationships and certain things and mm. I think it's important to make be- people feel like they're not alone and that's ultimately what I'm what I'm trying to do. So, yeah. You're you're an absolute inspiration, honestly. I have two um, final questions that I like to ask all of my um, Mm -hmm. guests on the show. I want to know a moment from your tennis career that you're most proud of. So this may be, you know, making a Grand Slam final or maybe something that's quite, you know, very public (laughs) or is there something that's a bit more quiet? I think – there's a lot of, uh, I think, result-based uh, moments that I'm proud of, and I would say being an Olympian at the Sydney Olympics um, was was incredible. That's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so that was um, that, that's an incredible experience. But I think I would go more into. I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm really proud of being so constantly put down and abused, and then being able to walk out there on sent a court in front of 20,000 people and put on a brave face and and go out there and compete and fight my heart out. It's not, I, I realised today um, that that was incredibly hard and not easy to do. So I'm really proud of just being able to push through even when I didn't do well and my results were not up to it. People have no idea how hard it was to walk out on the court being battling depression, anxiety and PTSD. I'm so proud of that, even just being able to walk out there. <sighs> You're, yeah, you continue (laughs) to blow me away. Um, My final question, my final question. um, What would your advice be for an athlete who, I mean, obviously with your experience having to retire 
unexpectedly due to injury. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, you know, a thousand athletes out there who who can relate to that experience, me being one of them because I had to retire due to injury as well, which was completely mm-hmm. unexpected. And it changes the course of what your plan is for the next two, three, mm-hmm. four, five years, yeah. potentially mm-hmm. longer if you're only at the start of your career. What would your advice be to um, an athlete who has had that experience, they're having to retire, give up the sport that they love due to injury and during that transition phase? I think uh, uh, it's one of those things where I think that you just have to, there's a bit of acceptance there that goes with, uh, look, not everyone is dealt the same cards. And sometimes as an athlete, we know injuries happen and sometimes that happens that, that they end your career. And I always look at it as, look, there's always a reason for something um, that happens uh, like that. And I look at it as, look, a sport career was always something that that um, was only going to be one part of your life. There's, yeah. There was always going to be this second part. Whenever as athletes going to compete till we're sixty, right? So that would be I the always, dream. <laughs> yeah. So and and I know that as as an athlete, whether you ended on your terms or whether you you know it's cut short due to injury, um, there will always be it's such a huge part of our identity when you do it from such a young age and you always feel like there's a part of you that almost dies when you yeah. <laughs> when you have you to grieve them yeah yeah uh but i think uh i would kind of the the advice would be you know go out there and do new things and don't be afraid to get outside of your comfort zone that first step is the hardest i was mm. really uh, dragging out that first step of actually trying to go out there and do something even commentary for for a while longer than i should have in a way um but yeah, I think just to make that first step, go out there and do stuff and you'll pretty soon figure out what you love and what you're good at. I think it's just important to have an open mind and to know that you're going into this new life now and getting outside of your comfort zone. But a lot of your things that you've been through as an athlete will help you. Mm. That strength, that resilience, um, you know, that's that strong character that we have as athletes and, and that competitive, competitive spirit will um go a long way and I think the one thing I would say is have that confidence and self-belief do not doubt yourself wow I kind of didn't necessarily know what to expect because I I have obviously followed Yelena for for so many years as, as most of us have and have observed all the media chats around her experiences and you know, gosh, from such a young age, just having to deal with so much, not just, you know, in, tr- in just trying to, to make it at the elite level in tennis, but what she was experiencing behind closed doors is just unfathomable, let alone having to deal with the media at such a young age as well. It's, she is a genuinely remarkable human who I think has been put on this planet to to, to change it for the for the better and and you know we'll continue to inspire and and help people with sharing her her story so I just really appreciate that she was so open and vulnerable and I can't recommend more going to get her book we will have links in the show notes to where you can purchase that if this episode was triggering for you please I highly recommend um, going and calling Lifeline on 13 11 14. But this is the last episode for the year. I hope you have an incredibly enjoyable holidays. But, yeah, sending lots of love to everybody and I can't wait to see you in the new year. There is some really exciting new developments in All That Glitters. So I appreciate all of the love and all of um, you sharing the journey so far and I can't wait to show you more about the plans next year.